This week on Physio Foundations is part two of my conversation with Dr. Brooke Patterson from La Trobe University. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about women and girls in sport. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week, a podcast about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. And this is part two of the conversation Susanna and I are having with Brooke Patterson from La Trobe University and the La Trobe Sports and Exercise Medicine Research Group. And really looking forward to this chat because we're going to be talking about some really interesting hard work and initiatives that have come out of the La Trobe Sports and Exercise Medicine Group over the last 10 years or so. So let's get on with it. And Brooke, welcome back to Physio Foundations. Thanks, Luke. Nice to see you again. And Susanna, thanks for co-hosting. Appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. So let's roll on. Let's go. So if you listen to the last episode first, you'd have a nice introduction to Brooke and her background and, and all the work that she's done through a PhD, helping people with ACL injuries, um, return to sport, but also consider their knee health and consider the whole person through their lifespans. Really interesting chat with both Susanna and Brooke contributing there to, um, to clinical and research um, implications from that area. So a really good one. We're going to change directions here and talk about some of the current stuff you're doing, Brooke. So you're currently working in the LASM group on a few projects that listeners are going to find really interesting. And the first one is Prep to Play. What's the Prep to Play program? So yeah, the Prep to Play program is an injury prevention program for women and girls playing community and elite football. We've got two separate programs. And at the moment, my full-time job is working as a researcher, um, coordinating a trial, which is evaluating the effectiveness of the Prep to Play program in over 150 teams across metropolitan and regional Victoria. And we've got uh, over 3,000 players in that that study. Um, so we've got a great team out at La Trobe, um, big team that are working on that, some postdocs. So yeah, my work husband, Matt King, who you mentioned before, um, is on that project as well. And yeah, a lot of good clinicians and researchers. So it's, yeah, great to, great to be a part of and great to get out into community clubs and, and see people knowing about the program and, and using it. So what we've been doing over the last two football seasons. Last year was a little bit interrupted, unfortunately, but all one of over 150 teams have received that workshop now. So we trained up 60 physios and those physios have now gone out and delivered a workshop, which is, you know, 45 minutes of education on the program, what it is and why. And then they do a practical session with the coaches and the players and support staff. And then usually come back in and have a bit of a discussion around how they think it's going to work for them and what some of the challenges might be. So, um, yeah, it's been a big couple of years getting getting that done, but we're, we're through it now. And um, I guess a little bit of a background to where the program came from is we started working with the AFL as soon as the AFLW started because we knew ACL injuries were going to be a problem. And so we did lots of literature reviews and there's only really pro- – in terms of female football and the different football codes like rugby, soccer, um, Gaelic, there's only programs in soccer, but they have really good evidence behind them to show that they can reduce injuries by, you know, for ACL injuries up to, you know, 50, 60% in, in female athletes. So there was already good evidence behind programs. And so we kind of took what was already out there and then spoke to a lot of the AFLW staff, 
uh, medical staff, high performance. We spoke to netball, rugby, soccer, um, all different sports and experts there, as well as worked with the AFL coaching team to develop the program over a kind of a three or four year period to where the point of it is now to actually test the program in community football players. And the program is all published on, it's available, you can find it. I'll put the links to it in the show notes. And but what does it look like? What is, yes. what is the program? Um, so it's a dynamic warm up, which focuses on a lot of the like kind of key movement skills specific to um, the injury mechanisms for ACL injuries. Um, so there's a lot of deceleration. So, you know, being able to sprint and slow your footwork down, um, which is an injury prevention, you know, benefit, but also um, it's important for performance as well. So the program, I guess, has been marketed to also have lots of other benefits, which we can maybe talk about after this, but deceleration, jumping and landing. So landing is how some of these injuries happen as well. Um, being able to kind of take contact um, in the air as well. So kind of jumping and getting pushed. Um, there's sprinting, um, for kind of soft tissue injury prevention. There's some kind of single leg balance type exercises as well. And then there's kind of four elements to the program. There's a warm up. So those ones I just mentioned, um, football skills. So there's a big focus on, because of the infancy of the sport for women and girls, big focus on tackling, being tackled, aerial contests and ground balls. So those kind of contact skills. Um, so we're hoping the program will also reduce other types of injuries like concussion as well with the inclusion of those skills. But I think probably what's important to realize for the listeners is those skills also relate to ACL injuries. So how a lot of ACL injuries happen is when you're running and sprinting at someone trying to tackle them and you're having to react to them. So we're trying to tie in what we're doing in the warm up with the footwork into to some of those sport specific skills as well. And then the third element is strength. Um, so a lot of these other programs around the world have strength and they often do them in the warm up. We kind of tell the coaches and the players that they can do them as part of the warm up, or they could intersperse them in their training, or they can do them and replace that typical kind of jog um, and static stretch, which we know doesn't have much evidence with these kind of strengthening exercises that are very specific to the, the demands of football. So we've got hamstring and glute. So we've got Nordics in there, um, some kind of quad, low limb dominant. So we've got reverse Nordics and lunges um, and core and hip. So planking variation, side plank in Copenhagen groin exercises. So that's the third element, strength. And then the fourth element is education. So we know that the programs work, but the problem is people don't do them unless they're in a research study. So actually providing some solid education about the why. We know women and girls like to know the why they're doing things. So, um, and then having that two-way conversation around what some of the challenges are and then being able to problem solve and find solutions for that particular team. So warm up, movement, strength, education, skills, game specific skills. So it's specific to Australian rules football and has been informed by research and um, clinical and players and and other expertise of lots of different people. So uh, AFLW, we've used that abbreviation so as Australian Football League or Australian Rules Football. W is women. And Susanna's worked in the men's division of the AFLW for 10 plus years, haven't you, Susanna? So what have you used for in terms of dynamic warm up and, and injury prevention? I know you've done, you've implemented this in your own way into many different teams that you've worked with. Um, how have you gone about doing it, making 
getting players from doing a traditional let's run around the oval and stretch the hamstrings a few times and then then bring in contact and have you um, implemented in your roles? I think what's, what's really important, and I think Brooke touched on it and it was probably in the education component, is getting it not only to the players, so that the players, getting them to understand it is what's going to get them to continue doing it. Um, but what's going to get the players to be able to do it within the training session is to get the coaches on board. And that's what the prep to play is really, really good at is it gets um, the coaches on board. So it gives them time to give them some time for questions um, and some problem solving, et cetera. So like Brooke said, you know, that they've got the prep to play. This is what it is. But how you implement it, you can implement it A, B or C. So giving the sort of... Uh, the strength to the coach to be able to decide when they need this here, there and everywhere um, is, is the best because you can go and do the best, you know, dynamic warm-up for, for a team and, they, and the players might like it, but if the coaches don't see the value in it, the next time that you're not there, they'll just go straight into training and they, they won't worry. So um, getting the coaches as well as the players on board is really, really important. Mm. It's a good point and it's something we've been quite mindful of in trying to invite as many people as possible that might be involved in the process to the workshop and, and yeah, really trying to empower them. And the evidence kind of backs it up that um, – coach led versus like physiotherapist led there's not actually any difference in terms of like the uptake and um even the injury prevention outcomes as well so the program is really designed for coaches to be able to or players a lot of the players in community level here are the ones actually leading it to be able to pick it up and and run with it there's some nice videos as well so there's kind of the posters but also video showing them technique and how to do them so um yeah, shared responsibility. We kind of all have have a role. Yeah, and to get it to filter through to that the grassroots. I mean, I've had players come up to me and said, "Oh, you know, I really like that dynamic warm up. I've shown it to my younger brother, and now they're doing it. Um, you know, in their little community uh, football." So yeah, like you said, if you, if you can empower people uh, to be confident uh, with what what you're suggesting or exercises. Um, what it it just makes it a massive difference in terms of where it can go and it could just can just be in your own team but it can then go on to other teams and it's just it's wonderful when you see it Mm. and for the practitioners and new grads listening in it is a great way to build some relationships with community sports clubs in your local region so that was how we also designed we linked the physios up locally to where the teams we had recruited with the hope that you know even beyond the study if they've got that connection they might be able to go down and provide refresher workshops or education or practical sessions because we know there's a lot of turnover of coaches and players which is part of the problem of why um, these programs don't continue to be used across across time and I think you know the good thing about prep to play and the the great support from the AFL is it's starting to provide a a common language across the the industry and people are aware of it so no matter what club you go or no matter what age group you're in that is the program and and it's familiar to people because if you go to like any kind of junior soccer club in Europe and it's starting to become that way in Australia. Everyone knows what the FIFA 11 is and it's just kind of embedded in in the fabric. So 
that's that's our dream. Um, I, we had our last workshop on Monday night and it was freezing cold, country Victoria, and um, I got there and they'd made this like A-frame with the poster, um, oh, wow. like big printed thing and they stick it out on the oval and it just like made my heart melt. <laughs> And, and that's the thing, the resources that this prep to play has is incredible. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about that or what's available to, to clinicians now or what will be available? Yeah, uh, thanks. I was going to say that because you can actually um, access it freely available. So even though it's part of the study, it's actually been online since 2019 and we've made modifications to it based on feedback from coaches, but you can actually Google prep to play or go to the coach AFL website. You don't need to be a coach. It's all kind of before you have to log in and you can access everything um, there. So yeah, I would encourage people to check it out. Or if you're working with another sport, there's lots of other programs. I mentioned the FIFA for soccer, there's rugby activate, um, there's netball knee. Um, there's some kind of programs that have been developed in college based American sports for, you know, basketball, volleyball, there's the pep program. Um, what else? Uh, Canar Control, which is like handball, floorball, soccer in um, Scandinavia. Um, there's the Get Set app, which was developed by the International Olympic Committee. And if you download that app, they've kind of pulled together lots of different sports and their programs. You can click on the sports and it kind of directs you to resources. So, yeah, there's a lot out there um, and it's kind of, you know, each sport puts their own twist on them, but they all actually have pretty similar elements. So um, if you're a clinician and want to go down and get involved with the community sports team, then, yeah, um, if you look up those things and, yeah, using your physio knowledge, um, providing some education, um, just give it a go. It's it's fun and it's super rewarding. Listeners, don't touch your phone while driving. I'll put all the links to all these in the, the show description mm-hmm. so you can click on there and I've been writing them down as Brooks has been speaking. The other thing that, that I was going to say is um, what's really nice about the prep to play or these sort of prevention, injury prevention programs is you've got a baseline, which means that when people do injure themselves, which let's be honest, is highly likely, um, you know where they should get to. Um, so that, and also it gives them something so that, you know, a lot of injuries that you see say in the clinic someone comes and it's like you know they're terrible on a plank or you know that there'd be no way they could do a Copenhagen you know the the adductor um, strength exercise so if you already know that's where they had been before they injured then it's really easy to sell them that this is where you need to get to Um, whereas sometimes when people feel oh no but my pain's already settled and in in the clinic they're like no I'm just going to go return to play and then you don't see them anymore um, you know, getting these in- interventions in early can just make the profession so much nicer at the other end as well. Definitely. Mm. And you reminded me of something else. So injuries, yeah, that we kind of touch on that in our education. They are a part of football um, and you can't prevent all injuries. And then that kind of leads on to there's other benefits to the program. So sometimes you got to understand what motivates different people as well because they might not actually feel like injuries are a problem for their team. So they might not feel like they need to do a program like this. But so you've got to try and, um, you know, almost sell it in another way that 
taps into their psyche. So um, some of the other benefits that you can speak to to players and coaches about are that they have been tested and shown to have performance benefits. Um, it's an emerging area of research and there's still a lot more to do to show the physical effects that these programs have, but there have been some studies to show that, yes, it does improve strength, it does improve, you know, speed, agility, jump height, um, movement, those kind of things. So um, that's a really good education point. Um, obviously, if you're better athletically, it's probably going to make you a better you know, footballer, for instance, as well. Um, if you've got less injuries, you've got more players available. And there's been some studies in um, overseas in soccer that show that doing the programs and the injury prevention or less injuries, you know, equates to better team performance as well. I don't know if you ever see the the ladders that they put in the paper of the top injuries to least injuries, and it always seems to line up with the teams that have done done well. So. And then other benefits that have kind of come up and coaches and players have told us these is it makes them look really organised um, to the parents, to the club, to the opposition. You know, it can intimidate the opposition. That's what they like about it. Um, it gives the players confidence that they are physically prepared. It's a physical game, football, Australian football. So doing these things makes them feel like they can actually go in and, and do it. Um, yeah, so it's just trying to think about some of those other benefits to these programs. With the strength of some of the evidence underpinning these programs, is, is there almost a duty of care? We're coming to the point where there might be a duty of care to be doing this rather than it being something that's really pushed and, and has mm. so many benefits. It might just be the the status quo soon you have to be doing that yeah i think yeah there's definitely been a lot of improvement most clubs now are doing some kind of dynamic warm-up um and actually there is we did make a duty of care video um so there there's a video on that same website that that highlights that duty of care that the players have to themselves to their opponents the club might have the organization might have Interesting. What else are you evaluating? You mentioned evaluation. The obvious what main outcome would be injuries. Mm. And um, what else can you evaluate? There's so many things. Yeah, so our primary outcome is actually do the coaches or the teams do it because of all the existing evidence right. around the effectiveness of it reducing injuries. So this is like it's called like a hybrid implementation effectiveness study. So we're actually looking at can we change behaviour, which, you know, it might sound easy that, you know, of course, if you go and do a workshop, they're going to start using it. But we know from other areas of physical activity, diet, actually changing people's behavior mm. um, and practice is, is hard. So that's our actually primary focus. And then it's we're looking at ACL injuries, concussion. We're looking at all types of injuries. So we get the sports trainers um, to report the injuries back to us on a, on a weekly basis via an app. So we'll be able to look at all types of injuries. We're also looking at does it change people's knowledge, beliefs, attitudes around some of this stuff. Um, we're looking at healthcare costs and whether the program is actually cost effective. So if we can, you know, reduce X amount of injuries, but the program actually costs X amount to train up all the physios and send them out, like does it actually have a cost benefit and how might we scale it up? Um, to be more sustainable and um, get it. Right. Yeah. So it, it, how does it work? A, a bit, let's go back to a dumb, dumb question from me. How does it, has having better movement and strength and skill and education about movement patterns, how does that prevent, we, let's, we've spent some time on ACL injuries. How, how could that help prevent concussions? 
for concussions or yeah I guess the that's the the million dollar question at the moment and that's probably what the field hasn't been able to tease out is 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 it those like movement things in the warm-up is it the strength stuff is it the education about technique we don't really know which of those things kind of produces the injury reduction effect so we need more kind of studies I guess to actually understand what the physical changes are but we do know that when people go out and look at the teams doing it they're not often doing it that well in terms of the technique so um you know it might be more exposure just to the types of movements and skills we know um you know particularly for women and girls they don't kind of generally develop some of those jumping landing rolling falling contact type um skills or they're not necessarily in the gym getting strong they just play a lot of sports so you know the the sitting on the fence answer is it's probably a combination of all of all of those things but for the concussion i think um you know being able to have good neck strength and shoulder strength so doing a lot of the planking being able to get low as you go into the ball so that comes from like doing the lunges and jumping and plyo stuff all of those things will i you know there's no absolute no evidence for this i you know my clinical brain kind of says having strength and being able to move in that way will help the way that people position their body on the ground in those contact situations. And of course, they're like teaching how to tackle and how to fall and roll is hopefully going to help with with reducing some of those head and upper limb injuries as well. And I, and I think that the, the learning to tackle is probably a big thing. I mean, going from men's footy now to working um, with development squads for the women, um, the tackling is like they they do need to to learn how to tackle um you know not leading with your head um is probably a big thing that i often see um but yeah so putting that in and i, I like what you said about selling it to them as you know almost performance enhancing i mean i was with working with the calisthenics um team i didn't really know much about calisthenics but we went through some dynamic warm-up like a routine which they they started doing and then i said look tell me what you want what do you need um and all they wanted was uh, they wanted self-massage and releasing techniques so it just went through some spiky ball and foam rollers and I mean, this team was always middle of the field when they went uh, into competitions. And then the next competitions that they entered, they all had their foam rollers each. They all had a spiky ball. All And like you're saying, you know, if you can do it together and have it uh, look really good, it really does intimidate other people. And then they went on and just won everything, like, for the next, like, like year. And, it's, and it was really just... A, it was getting them to do something, but B, it was getting it into their mind that they're getting themselves prepared as well. Um, and I think that's what you're doing with your prep to play. You're educating them that they're uh, working on their bodies so that they can be strong, so that they can be the best that they can be physically um, out there. And it just gives them that confidence to play. Um, and so I think your work is just exceptional and um, really hats off to you for doing it. That's amazing, the breadth and depth of what you're doing there. Yeah. 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 The other really interesting bit that we've learned um, is there's a bit of fear from coaches as well and parents and players to actually do like contact drills at training. Um, yeah. So 
it's there's a big piece of work to do there in terms of you know giving the coaches the skills but also the confidence to have a drill that's safe that you can then progress because um, it comes back to that duty of care piece um, sometimes you know people will say to us oh well they're, they're kind of here just to socialize and have a bit of a kick and giggle but then when it comes to game day the opposition doesn't know that you know, you're there just to socialise and if you go to the ball and you don't realise that someone is about to kind of tackle you and you haven't kind of practised that, being able to take that contact at training, then there's kind of a duty of care piece there as well. So it's just, yeah, interesting to understand some of those barriers um, that are that are happening out there. Mm. Tell us about her sport and some other initiatives that are related to women's and girls' sport at Lazem. Yeah, so her sport is, I guess, broadly the kind of group of research and researchers that are, um, you know, it includes the Prep to Play project, but um, Laysom has a whole heap of other projects that have a focus on women and understanding, um, you know, are there differences in, in injury outcomes and rehab for women? So, um, you know, a lot of our knee OA, hip OA, hip pain, knee pain studies have a big focus on making sure we recruit enough women to be able to have a look at um, some of those differences. Um, so it's really, I guess, broadly about trying to improve, you know, injury outcomes performance for women and girls participating in sport and, and physical activity. And um, there's lots of exciting things hopefully happening in the future there. And um, yeah, if anyone's you know interested or, you know, excited um, about getting involved, then yeah, you can, I can put my contact details in, in the show notes as well. We've even got, you know, studies looking um, into the experiences of clinicians who are, are wanting to work in elite women's sport. And we know there's a few barriers for, um, you know, doctors, physios, exercise professionals in getting those leadership roles in sport. So, um, yeah, it's kind of on and off the field research. Mm, and that's why I ask. It's a really nice way to give an overview, a contact point for anyone listening to this who wants to get involved, you personally, but also via the website. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. The other thing I wanted to touch on just before we finish is we've already done it last week in last week's episode is the Women in Sport Congress. And you gave a nice little summary of what that's about and the conference themes. It's probably, this is probably just a plug. Um, if you haven't heard of it, you probably haven't been on social media um, in the, probably specifically in sports medicine, physio, sports doctor related social media. But so it's August 17 to 19. It's at the famous Melbourne Cricket Ground, the MCG in Melbourne. And it's led by, set up by your research group at La Trobe. And why don't we just spend half a minute on why you should get along to it and or consider yeah. submitting some, some of your research or case studies to it? Yeah, so it's a partnership between the Australian Institute of Sport and LASM are kind of organising it. Um, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. It's um, there's the first half day has actually got some mentoring um, and professional development networking sessions. So if you're a clinician or a researcher that you know wants to talk to a Professor Kay Crosley about her career or a, you know Dr Ebony Rio about her kind of clinical research career. Um, yeah, there's going to be some great sessions there and a bit of a social event on that first night. And then the two days have got lots of different topics related to injury prevention, performance, coaching, women's health, um, women of all abilities. And then, um, yeah, another social event, of course, on the um, Friday night. And then we've got a whole heap of um, great workshops from a lot of the keynote speakers. So um, bra fitting, um, you know, how to develop strength and power, 
um, some of the women's health, um, pelvic health, menstrual health um, type things as well. So definitely check out the website and get involved and there's lots of different options. It's really great pricing. You're really doing something about these problems that are often talked about. So, And we also talk about uh, as an opportunity for clinicians and, and students who want to get involved in things, door, knocking on doors and seeing if they open. Well, this door's open. You can go along and you can talk to your Professor Kay Crosley and your Dr. Brooke Patterson and everyone else there. And so, I think highly, it's like $250 for, you know, students for like three, three and a half days of, yeah, international, national experts in all of these areas. So, um, yeah, opportunity not to be missed while it's, yeah, in, in Melbourne, if you're in Melbourne, but yeah, definitely worth the travel. I think make a, make a weekend of it and, um, yeah. Yeah. Hats off to you and the team for your role in putting that together. We need to leave it there because you need to have some sort of a lunch before your next meeting. But, um, Susanna and Brooke, thanks very much for another podcast episode. Anything final that you want to add before we sign off? No, that's great. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Susanna. Thank you. You've been perfect. <laughs> yeah, excellent, Brooke. Really appreciate it. So um, until next time, everybody, this is Brooke, Susanna and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning. 